condition we are in, in the state of ignorance we are in, in the state of war, in the state of economic depression, in the state of depletion of the resources of our planet because of the greed of psychopaths who thought they could create their own reality. Well, look at the reality they created. You're listening to Behind the Headlines on the SOT Radio Network. The world for people who think... Hello, everyone. Welcome back to Behind the Headlines on SOT Radio Network. I'm your host for today, Harrison Cayley. Joining me, as usual, my co-hosts, Elon Martin. Hi, everyone. Joe Quinn. Hello. Neil Bradley. Hi, everyone. And joining us again, uh, sporadically, every once in a while, we have Corey Shank. Hello, everybody. So today we're going to be talking about the last week which for sure probably has raised the blood pressure of <laughs> a lot of people, especially our, our listeners, um, because, you know, as everyone should know, uh, some pretty big news. Well, we'll, we'll discuss how big it is, but um, we had, first of all, you know, starting out the week, we had some pretty heartening sentiments coming out of the, you know, the U.S. Trump administration. We had Nikki Haley and Rex Tillerson both saying, oh, Assad can stay. Um, you know, it's up to the Syrians to decide. And then within like two days, we had the St. Petersburg uh, metro bombing in Russia. And then the White Helmets put out this video of another uh, alleged chemical attack, this time in uh, what Khan in Idlib province in Syria. And, of course, you know, whenever there's a White Helmets video of something going on, it's big news. So, of course, things were going crazy for a day or two. Everyone's blaming Assad for this horrendous chemical weapons attack. And then we hear, you know, rumors in Reuters and AP and stuff like that that Trump is discussing with his, you know, military advisors possible military options, military reactions to what's going on. And then that night, news that the U.S. military has launched 59 Tomahawk missiles from the Mediterranean, which were directed towards a Syrian air base in in Homs province. And there you have it. Uh, So Trump... Um, you know, launched uh, the first official, you know, known, um, no excuses, military operation, military, you know, attack against the Syrian army. Of course, we'd had previous incidents of so-called, you know, accidental strikes during the Obama administration, but nothing like, uh, nothing open and, you know, above board, so to speak. Uh, there was the attack on Deir Azur where the U.S. said, oh, we thought we were targeting ISIS, which was total nonsense. <clears throat> yeah, it's kind of funny. Uh, I saw that uh, in news reports, that little line, that several of them, several Western media reports put in there, they're saying that this was the first time that uh, the Trump administration had, uh, or not the Trump administration, this was the first time the, the American government, the American military, had directly engaged in... <laughs> <laughs> The Syrian conflict. And okay, fair enough, directly, overtly, let's say, yeah. But that's not even true because, as you just said, Harrison, I mean, this was um, 
uh, well, in Derazor last year, they, they obviously <clears throat> deliberately bombed the Syrian army and killed up to 100 soldiers. Now, that's just about as directly involved in the Syrian conflict and on a very clear side as you can get. Um, but, of course, they put that down as a, oops, we accidentally bombed yeah. it. Well, it's, if that's the case, if they can accidentally bomb the Syrian military, then maybe they didn't really mean to hit that airbase the other night. <laughs> just, just to round yeah, up a, because... a couple of other events um, that rounded out the week. Uh, I can understand why Harrison hasn't mentioned them, but, I mean, it's interesting uh, compared with, say, three weeks ago when this quote-unquote major terror attack happened in London because a guy ran over some people. Um, the same thing happened in Stockholm on the same day of the airstrikes and the same number of people were killed, mm -hmm. although it's a non-event relatively because of, yes, obviously, these other major events that took place this week. In... Mm -hmm. In Stockholm. In Stockholm, yeah. the Swedish government immediately said there's been, it's definitely a mm -hmm. terror attack. Mm -hmm. uh, literally, the ambulance has just arrived and they already yeah. know somehow that ISIS has struck in the heart of Swedish power and killed four people. Um, also today, they've apparently found a bomb in the centre of Oslo, Norway. So ISIS has is uh, marching well, steadfastly to the Arctic Pole. Well, so uh, just yeah. around the, the ISIS other. also attacked a Coptic church in Egypt. Uh, yes, that's today. Now, that's probably a reaction to the major events this week. If you think about who responded favorably to the U.S. airstrike in Syria and who didn't, Egypt, Egypt was conspicuous by its absence. It didn't um, give any kind of positive statement. And lo and behold, no, there's two major terror attacks. Yeah. yeah, it condemned it. Condemned uh, it, in fact. And then there's two terror attacks. They, yeah, they refused to, to agree with it being a good thing. And uh, so can you imagine the situation? The U.S. Imagine the situation where the U.S. bombs... Uh, Syria, like it did, hits a Syrian airfield with Tomahawk cruise missiles. It's an attack, uh, first "quote unquote" overt attack on uh, on Syria by the U.S. military in the in the years-long conflict. And um, all these countries rally around and say, "Yes, very good job, very good thing." Assad, Moscow, Assad, very bad. Good job, America. Egypt doesn't. Egypt more or less comes out and says that was a very bad thing. You shouldn't do that. Now, in the normal world, you know, when you have this aggressor, a bully, for example, who's doing something mean, uh, doing something bad, and all the bully's friends come around and say, yeah, get him, yeah, good job. But there's one guy who says, why did you do that? He would usually get a slap from the bully, you know, for disagreeing with the bully, right? Well, that's what happened in Egypt. But it happened by way of ISIS, which is just one more piece of hard, pretty much clear evidence that ISIS is as we have been saying for as long as ISIS has existed, that it is a proxy mercenary force of the U.S. military. Mm -hmm. End of story. No yeah. questions whatsoever. Yeah. It's being widely discussed, even in the mainstream, that um, ISIS launched an attack simultaneously as the, as the airstrikes. I'm not sure where, nearby or somewhere else. Palmyra? Anyone know? Where? Um, it it was a nearby town, you know, nearby close town. to the yeah, close and to it, the airbase. Yeah. Nearby, right? And it and it was openly suggested. I mean, because you you can't avoid the obvious <laughs> question in begs that the two events were coordinated. So, yeah. Well, the uh, the um, the spokesperson guy, I can't remember what his exact title is, Konashenkov for the um, Russian 
defense ministry in his briefing that day. I think it was the first briefing he made after the the airstrike or the you know the cruise missile strike. Um, he said, "We." Um, he just noted the the timing. He says, "Oh, and simultaneously, you know, ISIS launched this attack. We can only hope that it wasn't coordinated directly with the U.S. military." <laughs> yeah, intent. And there was actually, but, I think, um, a Christian church in the area that was under heavy siege. Oh, yeah, it was. A, it's a Christian town pre- predominantly. It was, yeah, it was under attack. So essentially, uh, in uh, attacking this base, even though it, it was a kind of a limited. Uh, attack in many kind of, ways. And it was kind of uh, it, it did kind of uh, it did kind of put a, a crimp on uh, the Syrian Arab army's attempts to uh, save this town. Um, and uh, just getting back to some of the events that um, that surrounded the decision to attack, uh, we did get this huge appeal to uh, emotion on the part of uh, of uh, Nikki Haley in. Uh, no, that sounded fine, Harrison. Uh, in uh, in the UN Security Council, showing pictures of uh, of, of dead gas babies, and that uh, of course is designed to bypass didn't, any rational didn't they thought show, on the part of uh, anyone in the. Didn't they show pictures uh, of babies in incubators? Oh no, sorry, I'm thinking of something. Uh, else. Joe, that was yeah, that was another war. Different war. Uh, yeah, different PR company. Different PR company. Just and then of course we had Trump. Uh, you know, do his little uh, press conference and and uh, and talk about his own red line about this horrible, horrible thing that, that that's happened. And of course, it is horrible. Um, but uh, that too was an appeal to the emotions and a way for Trump to bolster his uh, justification for uh, basically um, committing an illegal act, uh, which is not consulting Congress, acting unilaterally. Illegal. Uh, and, um, come on, illegal. <laughs> yeah, what's, what's, what's a few what's missiles? A act? That's true. So Trump has, Trump has sold out to the deep state. Discuss. No, hang on a second. Um, before we get to that, um, I just want to say something about the the series of events that Harrison mentioned at the start of the show. There was one that he that you didn't mention, what which was <gasps> which was. Um, this senator Blumenthal, some Democrat high-ranking senator, who, in talking about Trump's nomination, Gorash, whatever his name is, for the Supreme Court, Gorsuch, Gorsuch, who has been, uh, who has since been, since been um, uh, approved without a fuss, yeah, without a problem. After, more or less, I think after the, or or at least when it was underway, when the, when the missile attack the, was underway, the morning later that morning, right. Friday morning. Uh, which was that's kind of coincidental, but the fact this guy basically Blumenthal came out and said that he wasn't going to uh, agree with or, or vote for um, Trump's nomination for the Supreme Court because of the looming constitutional crisis, um, and he didn't say it specifically. He didn't say the word impeach, but he made a reference to Nixon, Richard Nixon, who was uh, impeachment was. impeachment uh, papers were were drawn up against him before he was then. Uh, kind of forced as a result of that to resign rather than be impeached. So um, it's interesting that the, so the series of events as I as I saw them happening on, from a chronological point of view were uh, Nikki Haley and Rick Tillerson, Secretary of State, saying we're not interested in overthrowing Assad. We're not really bothered about getting rid of him anymore. Then I think probably two one or two days later. 
Um, this Blumenthal, Senator Blumenthal, comes out and makes a direct reference to impeaching, the looming impeachment, effectively, of Trump. Um, then you had the St. Petersburg bombing. The next day, you had the chemical weapons attack, quote-unquote. And then the next day, you had the Tomahawk cruise missiles. Um, well, in between that, obviously, was the the, this, the turnaround by Nikki Haley and Tillerson and everybody else and Trump himself saying, Assad must go. So I can't help but put together, put those together, as I kind of did when I wrote a little article on it a few days ago, and, and saw them as they all kind of connected, very directly connected, that uh, not that Trump wasn't aware that he was under pressure, that this was, there was this push to kind of try and get rid of him or threaten impeachment if he didn't do something or get back in line with the, with the warmongering agenda. But uh, it certainly seems to have worked. I mean, and it's amazing that the media doesn't really focus on that as much. This sudden turnaround, they have made reference to it, but none of them attempted to explain it. Uh, of course, the easy way to explain it was, well, Trump, as he said, was just so so affected, so personally you know, touched by the 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 dead women and children in, in Syria that he had to just totally rethink. The children of God. He had to totally rethink God. his his planning, yeah, the children of God. Uh, rethink his attitude uh, to, to, to Syria. Now, that's a pretty rapid and dramatic turnaround in policy within less than a week, within four or five days, basically. So, uh, yeah, just wanted to mention that. But what was your question then, Neil? So Trump has folded to the deep state. He's now their man. Discuss. You discuss. <laughs> it. Uh, well, well you've got different. This is a question, right? I mean, this this, is, to what this, degree is this a uh, is this a kind of attempt for Trump to throw these uh, deep state boneheads some meat and uh, and give them what they want as a as a means to take the heat off, uh, or is he has he really? kind of fallen and, and going to follow through on this kind of slippery slope of uh, of going after Assad. Well, uh, it's Alan, Alan it's, just, just, just... It's throw the deep state meatheads a bone, by the way. That's our position. Have you noticed, listeners, mm-hmm. that no one else has considered that? I, I, I haven't heard it. I mean, there, there's two basic reactions to this. Oh my God, World War Three has started. That's it. It's over. Mm-hmm. It's going to be direct war between Russia and probably China and the US. And the other one is, well, we told you Trump was evil. You didn't listen to us. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we knew this was going to happen. We told you. I, I don't hear anyone else considering the possible position that, you know, hello, it's domestic politics. It's because nobody is able to think in a nuanced, kind of more detached way about it. I, I mean, to be able to think about something and, and look at it from in terms of nuances and the complexity of it, you have to have a certain level of detachment from the whole situation uh, because, and, and most people don't have that because most people commenting on this or looking at this or people in the world are basically have been pushed into this black and white simplistic, you know, A camp or B camp, you know, left or right or whatever, pro-Trump, anti-Trump. And uh, if, it, if things don't go all their way, then they, they, they fall into black and white thinking, you know, if, if um, they, they don't allow for 
for nuances and complexities and, and really trying to understand uh, how these kind of things work. And that's what we try to do because that's the way the world works and particularly when you've got a bunch of infighting uh, oligarchs basically uh, in power who are just in, in it for themselves. Uh, you're going to get a lot of cloak and dagger kind of uh, double dealing and backstabbing and um, manipulations, you know, and there's going to be a lot of, there's a lot of infighting and dirty deeds and dirty deals. So uh, that makes it all very complex and you can't just turn around and say, you know, oh, that one group, that one person did one thing, therefore, you know, that means they're they're all bad or they're all good or it's all changed or it's all this way or it's all that way, you know, and that's not the way it works. There's many, as the old phrase goes, there's many, many a slip between cup and lip and uh, there's a lot more to happen as a result. This is an ongoing situation, you know, it's a evolving situation and to a certain extent these people are just reacting to each other, you know. Uh, so Trump and the deep state still, I think, still exists, still is still a, a fairly plausible uh, scenario that he is still attempting to go his own course and I think it's more likely that uh, as we've um, hypothesized or theorized over the past few days on SOT uh, that this is more likely uh, a situation where they're trying to uh, Trump or the Trump people are trying to give themselves a little bit of breathing space in the sense of they've had no choice but to do something in response to this Uh, chemical attack that was just dropped in their lap type of thing. Well, what are you going to do? I mean, you got to look like the the strong guy. But it's not just that Trump should Trump is responding. The Trump administration is just responding in order to look like like they're they're strong. But it's also to obviously, it, as other people have said, that it make it, it puts a kind of a kibosh to a certain extent on on the pressure Trump has been under for being uh, in Putin's pocket. Basically, well, he's obviously not in Putin's pocket. If he's um, firing missiles at Syria against the wishes of uh, the Russians, you know. Um, mm-hmm. So, yeah, but taking the, into consideration uh, all the things that you said, Joe, uh, you try and answer the question of who benefits from the the airstrikes, and you know, obviously Syria, Russia, they didn't benefit. But when you look at like deep state and Trump, you know, I mean, there was this doesn't turn the tides of the war uh, or anything in, in Syria. In fact, you know, if Russia increases uh, military presence, you know, uh, defensive measures, then it makes a future attack less likely. So Which the means one it does have Russia. primary beneficiary is Donald Trump in this case, mm-hmm. you know, because he just, right. you know, he's getting lauded with all of his enemies right, right. now are singing his praises. So right. in that sense, this is, uh, you know, a, a tiny win. Yeah, he's gonna. You didn't mean to, but Corey just um, explained why Russia does win. Because if what they said is true, which (laughs) two things: one, it means Trump is not his puppet, right? And the whole world gets to see that now. Uh, Two, if they back up what they asserted, which was, well, sorry, our our deal now to you know coordinate this and that and Syrian airspace, yeah, that's off now. Anything else coming in now, we're gonna have to shoot it down. If they can hold to that now, mm-hmm. the Americans just effectively hamstrung themselves from doing anything else. Well, it hasn't. It's not over yet. Is the thing. Yeah, this, I don't think the situation is over because um, this was very much a 
an attack on Russia by these kind of deep state actors or whatever, the warmongers, the anti-Russian heads in, in, in the U.S. who want uh, to screw Russia over at every opportunity or just hysterical about Russia basically and have been for quite some time. It really was an attack on Russia because the kind of diplomatic fallout from this is that um, uh, Russia, is, Russia is now being exp- explicitly accused of being complicit in this chemical weapons, uh, this, this this atrocity against the Syrian people with chemical weapons by Assad, who is a friend of of, of Putin, a friend of Russia, and uh, and Russia is basically supporting this guy. And how can any civilized state uh, countenance such a thing to 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 be supporting a person who would do this? Of course, <clears throat> a lot of people don't believe. I don't know what percentage, but a lot of people don't believe that. Uh, the narrative that this was a chemical attack by Assad, as many people are saying, it's completely ridiculous that he would, uh, at this stage where he's in the ascendant and the war and he's, he's in a very powerful position, uh, where he would uh, carry out a chemical weapons attack, which he knows, and he said in 2015 explicitly, and I have a quote somewhere, um, that uh, there's no way that he would ever uh, sanction the use of chemical weapons in Syria because Syria is looking for as many friends in the world as possible because of the position it's in. And it knows, Assad knows, that all he would have to do would be to use uh, chemical weapons and then he would have no friends whatsoever, which is exactly what has happened, obviously. Uh, and that's the whole point of this propaganda ploy, which is to make Assad look like he is just untouchable, uh, not untouchable, but um, that uh, no one should ever or could ever associate with him and he's, uh, unten- his position as president of, uh, of Syria is untenable. And Russia, the pressure is now being placed on Russia to uh, ditch him, basically. Not only to ditch Assad, but to remove Russian Russia's military presence in Syria and allow Plan A to go ahead, to get back on track. Plan A being allow the jihadis to overrun Syria and over get rid of Assad and his government and impose a Western-backed, compliant regime in Syria. And then they can get on back on track uh, for uh, in terms of the whole point of why there's any kind of a war in Syria at all which is about natural resources and geopolitics and gas pipelines coming from Qatar uh, to uh, through the Middle East to through Turkey into Europe uh, to supplant Russian gas supplies to Europe so ultimately and this obviously isn't lost on the Russians it's very much the centre of their of their awareness that the whole point of the Syrian uh, conflict is to uh, strike a blow against Russia economically and to degrade it as a country and as a power in the world. So this is why Russia is not going to back down, cannot back down, and no nation in the world would ever back down if it had the ability, and Russia has the ability not to back down from this kind of a uh, manipulation, an attempt to basically destroy uh, Russia's position, its rightful position in the world. No one would do it. Well, and one of the things about this is that, well, first of all, you know, um, from some of the, you know, comments and just discussions that I've seen online, there are some people saying that this was kind of like a totally orchestrated, not in the sense of you know, like a a deep state false flag kind of organization, but like a um, Trump and Putin, like behind the scenes saying, you know, okay, well, let's do this. And, and um, you know, this is how we have to respond. 
I think that's kind of taking it a bit too far. I think that when you look at it realistically, this is not an ideal situation, but it's, it's, um, the action that Trump thought would be like the best given all of the, um, all of the conditions under which he's operating right now. Mm -hmm. So the Russians certainly aren't happy about it. The Syrians aren't happy about it and they're going to have to deal with it. And it's going to be, it's going to create problems in the future. Mm -hmm. But, but on the other hand, it's not, um, it's not a total disaster in the sense of what, like, just look at John McCain and what he would have liked to have happened, and not just John McCain, but lots mm-hmm. of other people. Like, you can see him on, you know, on news interviews, and and he, first of all, he's totally happy that that Trump, um, Trump bombed Syria, which is kind of well, it's really revealing in one sense. But he also says, oh, but he should be bombing more, and we should do more and more and more. Now, if Trump was really, um really like actually sold out to the deep state that's what he'd be doing right now he wouldn't this would be this would have been the end like that mm-hmm. would have been the start of a major you know operation like iraq 3.0 or libya 2.0 this would have been another well, a repeat of that and well go ahead yeah i was gonna say maybe but maybe not um mm-hmm. because i think there's this is in this situation this tomahawk pew pew kind of shooting uh, shooting missiles at a, uh, at a deserted airfield in Syria was a, involved the coincidence or coincidence of, of, of interest. And that's the reason Trump went, went with it and the reason that the kind of deep state were, were kind of facilitated it effectively. Because obviously you're talking here about the, the setup to it, which is obviously important, is this chemical weapons ruse or fiasco uh, where it obviously was not Assad Obviously not the Russians. It was the jihadis, or some, or even probably some CIA agents or Mossad agents on the ground who decided to basically blow up a, a bunch of chemical weapons and and use that as a pretext. Um. So, the there was a coinc, coinc, a coincidence of of interest in terms of Trump that was good for Trump to to respond to that, um, in the way that he did, in the limited way that he did, but. There wasn't really much scope for the warmongering deep state actors who hate want to get rid of Assad and who hate Russia to do much more, because mm-hmm. I still I think it still holds true that those people uh, are realistic enough. They don't have much uh, of a grasp of reality, but it does extend to the reality of them not being able to take any direct uh, action or aggression or start any kind of a hot war with Russia, because that would yeah. in, involve eventually, and perhaps rather quickly, uh, uh, the possibility, of the distinct possibility of a nu- nuclear war between between the two nations, and obviously no one's going to win as a result of that. So the problem is, the thing is, that has frustrated these people for the last 18 months is that they have been completely checkmated in Syria by the fact that Russia just kind of pulled back the curtain and said, oh, look, there's our, there's our air base, fully stocked air base, ready to go in Syria, and we have complete, basically, control. We've basically created a, a no-fly zone uh, in, in Syria uh, for NATO forces or for the U.S. You can't do anything, and they haven't done anything. They weren't doing anything before Russia entered because, obviously, they weren't going to be bombing ISIS because uh, um, ISIS is their proxy army, and they figured they didn't need to be bombing actively because ISIS was doing a very good job prior to uh, September uh, October 2015, about 18 months ago, uh, Assad was really on the back foot. It was going very badly for them before Russia entered, and they figured, well, let, let, 
the jihadis are working, our mercenaries are working, let's, let's let that, and we're, we're obviously funneling weapons and money and all sorts of things to them through the Saudis and Qataris. Let's let that play out. It's not going to last much longer. Then Russia comes in and changes the whole thing up and basically stops them from doing what they would have done in that situation, which is uh, if things were going bad for the jihadis, they would have launched a NATO bombing campaign. And you notice that they tried to do that in August 2013, but through some skillful Russian diplomacy and probably a few implied threats, <clears throat> they were forced to back down. The US and the UK had to go to Congress and go to Parliament and they had to basically say, everybody went, yeah, Let's not do that. Let's not have another NATO bombing campaign like in Libya uh, on Syria because why will the only reason those people back down from that kind of thing is because there's a, they've been made aware of a very clear scenario where NATO planes would be falling out of the sky and British and American mm -hmm. soldiers and pilots would be dead. Now, that is the worst possible scenario for these people. That is the one thing they will never, ever allow to happen, i.e. defeat, Humili humiliating international military defeat. Not because, not just because they don't like being defeated, but because every single use of American military and Western, uh, particularly, you know, it's mainly British and, and American arms manufacturers' weapons that are put on display in live action expo, uh, arms expos, um, arms shows effectively when they launch weapons and have these kind of wars, turkey shoots in different countries. Uh, that's what they are. It's a live expo of their weapons and that generates vast amounts of interest and purchases of their weapons and they get large amounts of money as a result. Um, so for that, that that history of successes, of only success, of look at our wonderful Tomahawk cruise missiles flying through the air, blowing up Baghdad. Look at our wonderful new 5th, 6th, 7th generation jets, you know, raining hellfire from above and, you know, look at our wonderful ships, everything, all of it. If that ever turned around to Look at our wonderful planes falling out of the sky. Look at our wonderful ships being blown up. Look at our Tomahawk cruise missiles being blown out of the sky. That's just, that is like, it's about, it's business basically. And that is super, super bad for business. They would never allow that to happen. Quite apart from the idea of America ever being dealt a, a defeat militarily in a very public way, given the way that it has trumped itself up as the invincible, indispensable nation who is the policeman of the world. I mean, it's through that reputation that it's able to influence and manipulate and uh, kind of uh, coerce many nations around the world through the threat of our military prowess. If that image ever fell, well, that would America would be as good as, as dead, you know. So they have to maintain that all the time. So in this case in Syria, uh, because of Russian control of the airspace and stuff, they really can't do anything else which is why John McCain and Lindsey Graham have been have no teeth left, because they're all gnashed away. They have, they've only got stumps left because they've been so frustrated over the past 18 months that this just inconceivable idea of America not being able to do whatever the hell it wanted, anywhere it wanted, and thwarted or stopped from doing it by Russia. A freaking gas station masquerading as a country of all <laughs> freaking things. I mean, it's just un they, uh, unbelievable and they can't take it. And they've, and that's why the two of them, Lindsey Graham and John McCain, peed their pants whenever they, they fired 60 cruise missiles because at last, finally, a show of something that we're still there, we're still, we're still, <clears throat> we're still in the fight, we can still project our power around the world. <clears throat> so it seems to me that this whole situation is basically back to what the only thing that they can do and have been doing against Russia and Putin in particular 
for the past uh, three or four years, really, since uh, Ukraine and the Maidan, which is to think of everything and anything they, can, anything they can do to make him look, to put pressure on him, to make him look like the devil incarnate on the international stage and thereby put pressure on him and on other countries to not do business with, business with Russia and to just trash Russia's reputation and Putin's reputation. And they're <clears throat> and, and court, trying to get the international community to put pressure on. That's all they have. That's what they're doing this week. After this this situation in the <clears throat> in Syria, the Tomahawk cruise missiles and the gas attack, and that's as I was saying previously, they now it's Putin is supporting the dictator Assad who just slaughtered so many people with a chemical attack. How can he do this? And they're going to the G seven, not the G eight, because Russia's still suspended from the G eight. The G seven next week, and apparently they're going to all get together, the G7 nations are all going to get together and, you know, have a staring contest or something at Putin, uh, or dirty look contest, and they're just going to, like, give him the biggest dirty looks they can possibly give him, <laughs> and and scowl at him, and frowns, Boris Johnson's going to, like, have his worst haircut uh, that day, <laughs> and he's going to be scowling and drooling at the mouth, and there'll be a few snarls and stuff, and that's what they're, they're going to, that's their plan. Uh, because that's why J- Johnson didn't go to to Russia recently because, well, he did. He was waiting on instructions from Trump, you know, and Trump wasn't sending them because Trump thinks he's a buffoon. And you know you're a real buffoon when Trump thinks you're a buffoon, as Boris Johnson. Uh, I wouldn't like to be that guy. So, um, and that's what's coming out of the like the the, the U.S. Um, U.S. Um, uh, I don't know, the Defense Secretary, the U.K. Defense Secretary, Michael Fallon, He's the one who's been talking about, by proxy, Russia is responsible for every civilian death this last week. Uh, if Russia wants to be absolved of responsibility for future attacks, which will be coming, i.e. future chemical attacks, because we do them, Vladimir Putin needs to enforce commitments to dismantle Assad's chemical weapons arsenal for good and to get fully engaged with the UN peacekeeping process, i.e. stop supporting Assad, remove your military. Um, well, hold, hold on, so, Joe, because you, just, you just said quite, quite a number of things one more thing, there. which is, if yesterday's yeah. statement by Boris Johnson, this is from the, the Russian embassy in, in the UK, if yesterday's statement by Boris Johnson is to be trusted, Tillerson will deliver a G7 ultimatum to Moscow next week. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. Well, man. so just, you know, one of the things that, that seems to be ignored throughout all of this, is that uh, Assad's chemical weapons have all been taken out of Syria uh, like three years ago. This was under the supervision of the UN. The U.S. signed off on it. Uh, You know, this was a done deal. Just a small um, detail. Yeah, (laughs) and and yet it never gets brought up uh, in this conversation at all. Um, no, not, not our conversation, but it can't. But, but the the conversation of uh, of Western media. But I wanted to get back to something also that um, Harrison said about you know this not being a exactly an an ideal situation. And and Joe, you've alluded to this in in looking at this in nuanced um, in nuanced ways. Uh, it it seems that um, at the same time um, that that this was uh, a maneuver to possibly uh, give Trump a little breathing space politically. 
and to and to do something that would uh, get these uh, get these guys off his back for five minutes. Um, there there is this other kind of uh, door that's been opened uh, for negative potential, where you know now we're hearing T Rex talk about possible sanctions, uh, you know, dirty stairs uh, intensified. Um, and it, it just seems to be uh, opening up a whole new avenue of uh, exacerbating tensions with Russia on the part of the U.S. So it, it's kind of a, this double-edged sword that we're seeing here uh, that uh, can, can lead to, and the slippery slope that can lead to Trump feeling compelled that he has to do more. He's got, he's got uh, half the media, uh, the CIA-controlled media in the U.S., egging him on to, to mm-hmm. do more. Uh, you have uh, numbskulls like, um, uh, like, like Lindsey Graham. And folks, if you haven't seen it yet, I think in, in one of your focuses, Harrison, you have a clip of, uh, of uh, Graham being interviewed by um Tucker, Tucker, yeah. uh, Tucker Carlson uh, on oh, Fox well, actually, News. We actually have and, that and audio if you want to play it. Um, it is be great. It is wonderful because, uh, and what you'll hear in this audio, I'm glad we have it, Joe, uh, is uh, Tucker Carlson actually one of the few people in the U.S. media exercising any amount of rigor to all this bullshit that guys like Lindsey Graham are, are spouting on these TV shows. He questions him on every bit of it and uh, he should be lauded. It's, it's amazing to me that Fox news would even continue to have him on the air. Uh, but Hey, you know, we'll, we'll, we'll take what we can get. Right. Hmm. Did we want to play that clip now, Joe, or yeah, did well, you want to wait only, a little bit? It's only a short, uh, short little, it's only, and it's not the whole interview. I think the whole interview was like 10 minutes or something, but no, it was 20 minutes, mm-hmm. but this is just like a few, a few little bits and pieces. Okay, we'll go ahead. Oh, no, we won't. Well, well should we talk while we wait? <clears throat> yeah, keep going. Well, uh, Lan, what was it that um, that got your attention in that interview, in particular? A number of things. Well, one is every time Carlson tries to pin Graham down on what the U.S priorities are in Syria, uh, Graham dissembles uh, and, and goes back to, uh, you know, what, what, the, what the Russians are doing and we have to defeat ISIS. And then when, when uh, Carlson calls him on, on that, it's, well, we have to, we have to get Assad. It, there's just no, uh, and then he always manages to slip in, um, you know, some, some kind of, uh, some kind of, um, uh, well, if we hear the recording, we'll get it. But he, he, he manages to throw in all these little, uh, and, and Putin is evil and, 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 uh, and, and Assad, you know, continues to barrel bomb people. And it, and he just gets away with, or attempts to get away with so much. Uh, it's really quite refreshing to, to hear someone call him out on all his BS. Yeah, the amount of BS is astounding. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he's, he says that you have to beat ISIS, but you can't beat ISIS till you beat Assad because Assad is the reason that there's destabilized country. But you can't, but Assad's the ally of Iran and Iran is the real enemy. Right. So you have to defeat ISIS, but you can't defeat ISIS. You got to beat Iran first. And mm-hmm. I mean, the amount of, yeah. He claimed a, with a straight a, oh, face. 
that Assad was took a cost and said, but isn't Assad fighting ISIS? He said, no, Assad is fighting the opposition. Assad isn't fighting yeah. ISIS. Which I mean, leaves the most the barefaced lie. The opposition is, yeah, is a bunch of foreign fighters and <laughs> crazy lunatics. Okay, well, we've got the clip here. We're going to see if we can play it on our end. I would just say this about President Trump. I'm proud of him. He did something Obama did not do. And if I'm North Korean, I'm going to think differently about Trump because he told Assad uh, what would happen. Well, he didn't draw a red line. He just acted. Here's what I would say about the president. He acted decisively when Obama did not. Hope North Korea is paying attention. And North Korea, of course. <laughs> this is uh, in reference to uh, – this is another astonishing development that took place this week that we really are in, in a different time. This would never have happened before. Um, someone on the NSC, U.S. National Security Council, leaked to NBC News um, the options being presented to Trump by these security advisors about what to do about North Korea. Three options, right? One of them is to move nuclear weapons back into South Korea. They were removed 25 years ago, and that would be, by their own admission, that would be a crazy option. But a lot safer would be option number two, to assassinate Kim Jong-un and all of his gov government ministers. Uh, Kill them all. A third option is to infiltrate U.S. and South Korean special forces into North Korea to sabotage or take out key infrastructure. And they quote some former NATO commander who says, in his opinion, it'll be some combination of special forces with South Korea and cyber, which is shorthand for cyber warfare, which we know means that they will um, do things like shut off the power to their hospitals to make people hurt, hurt people they're supposed to in their crazy world of game theory making you punish the people and then they rise up against their leader and then you get regime change that way. So what, what I'm drawing attention to here is that is the craziness not of the, the fact that these people think like this, but that they're all, it's all on display, it's on the table in the sense that it's straight up with the public. There's no inventing a narrative. It's assumed on their part, I think, that everyone knows that Kim Jong-un is evil and, you know, therefore... Anything we do to him is legit. And anything we do to the North Korean people is legit too. Mm. And this is crazy. So um, but part of the timing of this as well, we should mention that um, another unusual event took place because usually when world leaders meet, I mean, especially in this situation where Trump you know, has uh, the deep state against them, late last week he, he announced a surprise meetup with leader of China who was in who arrives and he's having dinner with Trump just when apparently when the airstrikes went off in Syria which is interesting timing um, and they supposedly discussed North Korea and then N uh, NBC announces the these are the options on the table on the table for Trump um, just yesterday uh, a US warship more than that, a battle group, which is like a carrier and several warships, apparently moved to North Korea or South Korea, I think. Um, I think I think this is I think this is a lot to do with 
this is, goes beyond Syria. I mean, th- th- their battlefield is everywhere. They're battling mm-hmm. China and Russia simultaneously. Um, the timing of sh- showing the world that, you know, America is still in business mm-hmm. in Syria is, yes, it's directly affecting Trump, but of, obviously also meant to directly affect the Chinese premier who's sitting at the dinner table when the news is announced. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, good luck with that. That's all I can say. Yeah, well, North kind Korea... Of, kind North, of like... Go ahead, Jim. The whole North Korea situation is very similar to... I don't know if people have seen the uh, video of Putin who's interviewed by a, um, a journalist, a Western, Western journalist a few years ago, um, and the Western journalist is uh, asking him about the the missile shield, the US missile shield in Poland and Eastern European countries. And uh, Putin says, well, yeah, it's kind of like... Putin obviously wasn't happy about it and complaining about the, these missiles placed uh, within uh, firing distance of, you know, relatively close to, to Russia. And um, and the interviewer says to him, but that's uh, that's for Iran, that's against Iran, that's to protect Europe from, from, from the Iranian nuclear threat. And Putin just laughed for about 15, 20 seconds in his face. And he said, <laughs> and he was like... Uh, yeah, you know, I, I have to go home, but at least you sent me home with a smile on my face. You know, that's what <laughs> I mean. So it was obviously um, ridiculous. This is the level of awareness of the average journalist as well, who just believe nothing but the official Western government line and can't even think for themselves, you know. So the point of that is that uh, North Korea plays the role of... Um, of... Uh, of of Eastern Europe, uh, Poland, for example, in that sense, where or sorry, um, North Korea plays the role of Iran, and South Korea plays the role of Eastern Europe, and in place of Russia, you have China. Uh, so basically, the point is that uh, the missile there's been a lot of uh, missile batteries stationed in in South Korea, and a lot of U.S. military warships, you know, landing there and docking there and, and um, patrolling the seas there and it's all presented in the context of the horrible threat from North Korea it's the horrible nuclear threat from North Korea uh, that's the justification for the US military build up in that region and like Russia is not deceived by this silly ruse um, about uh, about Iran being a threat the threat when obviously it's Russia um, to the to the West, uh, in this case, China is, understands that it is it is the real threat, or it's what's being uh, targeted by these uh, missiles that are officially to protect against North Korea. Well, Neil, so you were saying that uh, that Trump was having dinner um, with uh, Z as all of this was going down. And uh, it is interesting timing, and and it's almost as if Trump is saying, uh, you know, look what I can do type thing. I don't know if that's the correct spin on it or not, but it did remind me also of the fact that the missile base uh, in Syria that, that was attacked by those 59 Tomahawk uh, missiles was supposedly the same base that um, retaliated against Israel's uh, 
incursion with four uh, bombers or jets a couple of weeks back. And uh, there was one story that, um, in fact, the Pentagon had given Israel some updates in real time when when the when this base was attacked just a few days ago, as if to kind of uh, placate uh, Israel and and put on a show and say, here, you know, this is this is just for you in a sense. Um, so these multiple little little things. Uh, have seemed to be served by by the U.S. attack on this base. Uh, they're placating Israel. They're they're kind of subtly threatening China, uh, if that's what if that's what we can call it. Um, and uh, you have to wonder how far it'll go at this point. Mm. Well, it's it's interesting that there's basically the same pattern has emerged as during the so-called Cold War, where you have two large-scale fronts, not front in the physical sense so much as in a sort of ideological sense. Um, And the Cold War ended, right? And there's no competing ideology this time. And yet there it is still. The underlying fact remains the same. It's as pronounced as ever, or rather it returned in a slightly different form. Um. If you think about the scale of this, I mean, it's planetary. Both sides have nukes. Both sides have a lot of other conventional weapons. Both sides have probably altogether, uh, maybe not quite parity, but the U.S.-led side probably has more guns than the other in uh, in sheer sheer numbers. But um, it's a it's a pretty level playing field. It's it's a major standoff, and I mean the Cold War lasted sixty some years, officially. Uh, what, what I keep in mind here is that th- this won't probably won't blow up in the same in the same way that that one didn't either. It's a great standoff, and there's just too much at stake for these people to risk losing it all mm-hmm. in nuclear conflagration. So. Absolutely, yeah. It's because I mean their their main goal is greed, and uh, their main driving force is insa- insane greed, basically greed as a kind of a sickness where it's gone pathological, basically, and they want more and more and more, and there's there's no satiation for them. Um, the thing about I mean we talk we throw this term a lot of people are throwing the term the deep state around, um, and we've more or less I think defined it as. Um, as as elements within the intel agencies, but also a big section of it in in private business, basically. And and one of the things um, there's actually a very good book on it by um, Peter Dale Scott called "The American Deep State: Big Money, Big Oil, and the Struggle for U.S. Democracy." Um, it's a relatively recent book, and he makes the point, or he you know, marshals a lot of facts to point uh, to what the deep state actually is, and it's it's that it's elements of intel agencies, certain individuals or groups, um, not the kind of rank and file, but people behind the scenes who are obviously unelected. Um, so there's no accountability, uh, but also in business, for example, um, he he mentions the fact that about seventy percent of the U.S. intelligence agency's budget 
uh, and I think between them all it runs into the several billions of dollars. About 70% of that is outsourced to, to contractors. Like, um, well, there's been many of them over the years. Um, Kellogg Brown Root and Booz, Booz Allen Hamilton. Hamilton. Um, but So these groups, these corporations are getting vast, the lion's share of U.S. intelligence agencies' budget that is outsourced to them as effectively uh, private businesses. So they are in control of that money, and obviously it just makes them insanely rich, but uh, they're then tasked with actually fulfilling or doing the work of, uh, the supposed work of, of U.S. intelligence agencies to protect America, keep America great, you know, further American interests around the world. And these are private businesses with CEOs and who are making the decisions as to what to do and they're effectively making decisions on American they're making decisions for American foreign policy what they should and shouldn't do and it's all motivated by basically ultimately personal profit and the accrual of power and, and, and wealth uh, you throw in the big oil companies who are obviously in the mix there as well they want their share of the, the pie and Bankers, Wall Street bankers, private banks in Wall Street, and between those three or four entities, you have the deep state that dictates uh, the course of is, is dictating the course of the U.S. And the same is true in, in Western European countries. It's the same people, effectively, and they're the ones who are deciding uh, to have war, basically, because uh, well, as we mentioned previously, the arms manufacturers thrown in there. They just want war just for any old reason. Just have some. Like, I mean, you got to use our weapons, otherwise you're not going to order some more. Or rather, the American people, their tax dollars are not going to be keep flowing towards us. So when we sell you some weapons, when we sell the U.S. military some weapons, they got to use them so you can buy more. And the oil companies are saying, well, you got to use them so that we can get access to the oil in these countries that some Arabs uh, are unfortunately living on. Uh, and obviously Wall Street bankers are financing it, making massive amounts of money from the financing of it. Um, and obviously, yeah, I mean, these contractors, I mean, these contractors are just like joke companies, basically. They're just vacuum cleaner operations just for sucking up taxpayers' dollars. And they need, all of them together need the ruse, need ruses to justify uh, war, effectively, because war is a business, and that's uh, and it's and it's bleeding America dry, has been for many years, including Western European countries in, this, in the same situation, but particularly America, it's bleeding America dry. Trump walks in and says, "Yeah, this is kind of bleeding America dry. Um, it's not good for America as a country and, and for the American people. Uh, maybe we should do something differently." And that's where he ran into his first and probably his only problem. Well, on that subject, I'm reminded of a uh, documentary a few editors um, and me watched recently called The Weight of Chains 2. Uh, the first weight of chains was about NATO's uh, attack and destruction of uh, Yugoslavia in the 90s. And this one was a kind of follow-up to that piece and a survey of how uh, neoliberalism uh, in conjunction with the military profiteering has uh, destroyed or is in the process of destroying um, 
various countries around the world. And uh, I think it was a, um, a UN envoy uh, commenting on this whole thing, uh, this whole dynamic, um, who was from either uh, Croatia or Serbia, who said, uh, well, R- Russia is being accused of, of trying to enrich itself. And he said, I don't disagree with that. Uh, but the difference is that uh, I can either do business with Russia uh, or I can do business with a Western country like the U.S. or Germany or France or the U.K., and I'll be attacked. Russia's not going to attack me. Uh, they're just trying to uh, to do business. Do they want to make a profit and uh, and and benefit themselves? Yes, of course. Well, he didn't put it. He didn't put it in those terms. He was just speaking of interests. Mm-hmm. So he was saying that it was a Serbian guy, and he was saying that, well, you know, we get criticized for for dealing with Russia and for Russia, you know, have, um, you know, allying in, with us in certain ways because it's in it's just in Russia's interest. So he says, well. Yeah, but when when the West does it, it's in their interests. But they also attack us, you know, like you said, Iran, Ilan, not Iran. <laughs> but uh, but when Russia does it, it, it's in it's in our it's in their interests. But it's in our interests too. So what do you expect us to do? Of course, that's better. And and yeah, so it, it's it was just a totally common sense thing because people will will criticize serbia or serbian politicians for any kind of um you know good relations with russia because it benefits russian interests whereas he says well you know that that's uh you know what else would we do you know yeah only do business with russia when it hurts their interests yeah you're only allowed to do business with russia where basically you know you (laughs) sell some crap to russia and they give you a lot of money for it why are other countries particularly non-English speaking ones, incapable of doing business the Western way. Which is what? I get everything and you get nothing. Yeah. Are they incapable of that? Well, well, apparently. I, I'm, yes, I'm waiting on history to show me how they behave like brutes, but actually it's the other way around. So oh, yeah? what's going on there? Yeah, well, anyway, um, uh, there's a question on why only a, about a third of these Tomahawk missiles actually reach the airbase in Syria. Um, mm. No one seems to well, know why. The, yeah, go on. Yeah, and that, that was really interesting because Konashenkov in that first briefing, he you know he explicitly said it. So we, we tracked these 59 missiles coming in, and then we, we managed to, to track 23 of them to the, you know, to the airbase. But then he said that Basically, the location and the fate of the other missiles is unknown. Now, <laughs> that kind of strikes me as highly unlikely. I mean, if they if the Russians were tracking these missiles, these fifty nine missiles, obviously they were tracking them. So what did the did the other ones just myster- mysteriously vanish and disappear? Maybe there were like, only twenty three. There's got to be more to it. Well, maybe there were only well, it's po- well there there who knows because there's so many possibilities, right? So that's one. Now the you know, so the Russians could have just been making a concession to to the, the Americans by it, by agreeing with them that fifty nine were fired when fifty nine weren't actually fired. But um, so that's one possibility that only twenty three were fired. What, well, I can think of a couple others. Um, okay, well, one, 
some people have been saying maybe that, you know, um, the Russians just aren't saying anything and neither are the Americans, but the rest of the missiles were either disabled or um, misdirected using um, Russian kind of um, either, what do they call it? Um, electronic warfare. Yeah. Or some of them just missed. Now that, that seems possible because apparently Tomahawks are only have like a 50% um, accuracy um, you know, capability. And there are reports. Um, it's hard to, to know, you know, if they're verified or not, but there are reports of some people in, in the region, in that area, like in surrounding villages who say that, you know, missiles hit near their homes. So mm -hmm. it could be that some of them just went off target and just, you know, hit random places. But what really, what was really interesting is just the, the phrasing of the, you know, the Russians, they're basically saying, Oh, well, we don't know what happened to the rest of them, which, you know, mm -hmm. I don't believe mm -hmm. that. Yeah, and you said the fifty percent accuracy. Where, where did you well, hear that? CNN well, was telling us in nineteen ninety one that these cruise missiles could come down, stop at a traffic light, and take a left turn and go straight through the window. Well, that's propaganda. In nineteen ninety one, so what? They've been bullshitting all this time. But remember what I said about uh, selling selling weapons. You have to <laughs> talk it up. You have to talk up your product, you know, even though it's a bunch of crap. Um, yeah, I mean, accuracy doesn't mean that they would fall out of the sky and not get there. It's just that they wouldn't hit their designated target. But uh, accuracy can be just a few meters off or 10 meters off or something like that. But that yeah. can be quite important. But, um, yeah, the fact that uh, the Russian claim, I mean, you can uh, you can put it down to two things. One is obviously Russia would have a, an interest in just in, in, in poo-pooing the whole thing. And they have. They called it quite poor, quite a poor military uh, maneuver, basically. It, it didn't wasn't very high quality um, so they have an interest in just dismissing Russian mil or American military prowess in that sense but um, I don't I don't think they would just do that I mean when Russia has said things like that they tend to be quite truthful um, and I, would t I mean certainly between the US and, and the Russians I would tend to believe the Russians uh, more um, so I think they, they also there's also as you were saying uh, uh, Harrison the idea that they would they've also tended not to want to publicly or fully I mean their their patience is getting strained I'm sure but they've tended not to want to publicly or fully humiliate their their, their American partners as, as they call them mm -hmm. uh, and and give them opportunities give them uh, face saving opportunities you know um, mm -hmm. so this could be a, that case you know or. In this case, they they basically just said, "Yeah." Um, instead of saying we shot them down or we disabled them, maybe more likely, um, they just uh, the the other ones are are missing. <laughs> oh, your missiles are missing. What happened to them? Do you know? Maybe the Americans can tell you. The Americans say no. All but one hit their exact targets. Well, yeah, you guys don't have a very good track record of being honest about the the capabilities of your missiles. You know, I mean, after the the first Gulf War, as Neil was saying, um, the Patriot missiles uh, at that time were trumped up, no pun intended, trumped up to be the uh, you know best thing since sliced bread. Um, that they that they had a hundred percent or near hundred percent accuracy rate, and it was only a few years later that. Uh, they were willing to come out and admit that I think it was somewhere close to 10% uh, accuracy on those Patriot missiles. So the Americans don't have a good track record of being honest about the capability of their of their weapons. So there's no reason to believe uh, when, when forced to make a choice 
between what the Americans are saying about their missiles and what the Russians are saying about the, about the American missiles. Um, there's no reason to believe, especially when the Americans are saying, yeah, it was almost 100% accuracy. Well, you've said that before and it was a lie, so no reason to really believe you right now. And the Russians give a, in that context, give a more more believable explanation, which is that it was only about 40% accuracy, which is in the ballpark of what they're kind of known for. But the interesting thing is that it's not just that all of them hit the ground, but you know, 60% of them or 50% of them actually missed their targets, but rather that 60% of them actually went missing. I didn't hit anywhere. Or yeah. didn't hit anywhere of, you know, even close to where they, where they should have been. Like, Maybe like they were zapped. Six, 60% of them are lying at the bottom of the Mediterranean. Or they were zapped midair, yeah. a la yeah. Egypt Air. Uh, well, well, electronic warfare probably, yeah. Mm, zapped, but, disappeared, vaporized. Well... I think the kind of electronic warfare situation is more that they would just be disabled and just fall, fall like a bag of spuds, yeah. you know, out of the into, sky. Into the water. Yeah. The Russian military issued a, an interesting press statement Friday morning, the day after, uh, just just letting people know that the, they had done military exercises with their S-300, S-400 air defense systems, shooting down... Um, they didn't give a number. They said multiple cruise missiles fired from their, some bombers and uh, uh, SU-30 fighter jets. So this was an exercise in eastern Russia. They say, <laughs> Sputnik writes, strangely enough, this drill in eastern Russia coincided with Thursday night's launch by the United States of 59 Tomahawk cruise missiles. Right. Well, that seems to be the, the way that the Russians go about, um, you know, revealing things. You know, they don't try not to humiliate anybody, but they'll do something off-camera type of thing that only gets scant attention, but that points directly to, uh, to to what really happened. And, I mean, yeah, it's interesting that, like, basically the day, I think the day of or the next day, it was during the night in Syria, and it was that following day, that the, the Russians had these military exercises where they shot down cruise missiles uh, with S-300 and S-400. So, coincidence, yeah, but maybe not. Well, it's interesting because uh, right after the gas attacks, Netanyahu and Putin had a, a phone call, which uh, was, I guess, uh, reports say that it was, well, they exchanged views, but that it, uh, Putin underscored that it was unacceptable to make groundless ac- accusations against Assad about these chemical attacks, and then all of these events happen. So, I mean, it makes you wonder, uh, you know, what was going on behind the scenes, because then Russia apparently made a concession to recognize West Jerusalem as a capital for the state of Israel uh, immediately after that phone call as well. Mm -hmm. Um, Mm -hmm. Then Bannon was dismissed from the National Security Council, so it makes you wonder if Israel was ramping up the pressure behind the scenes, and and that's why we started to see the, the things we saw. Mm-hmm. Although I don't know what exactly happened with Steve Bannon, there's a lot, and there's a lot of uh, speculation out there right now. I, I don't, I don't really personally believe that he was dismissed, you know, because he had issues with Kushner or whatever. You know, he called him a cuck or whatever it was. I don't know. I think a lot of that is just hot air. But apparently, he's still staying on as a as a White House advisor, so it could be just a reshuffling uh, of the chess. Yeah, he, uh, yeah, he himself said it was business as usual. Well, of course he would say that. Well, he might not. He might do, do a Varoufakis and spill the beans, but um, 
I doubt it. If he's still got a, if he's still got a position. Well, know, that's what I mean. Yeah. He's still got a position as advisor, yeah. but he was booted off the, the security council. So I don't know. Hard to know. Speculation. Well, speaking of the, the Tomahawk attack, um, we're going to play a clip of Brian Williams response on the news. And then we're going to comment on it. So here we go. We see these beautiful pictures at night from the decks of these two U.S. Navy vessels in the eastern Mediterranean. I am tempted to quote the great Leonard Cohen. I'm guided by the beauty of our weapons. Um, and they are beautiful pictures of, uh, of fearsome armaments making what is for them a brief flight. Oh, my God. Just yeah, to our non-Americans. About, like, Williams baby is eagles. The, <laughs> Yeah. Yeah, this is uh what's his name? Brian Williams. Um Yeah, this is the same guy who got um booted off of NBC for getting caught in a lie. Yeah, what mm -hmm. was this thing again? He said uh, uh he, that he was somewhere. Um It's kinda like Hillary zone. Clinton's, right, where she said she was you know right. came out of the planet eye for fire. It was something like that. Yeah. Yeah. And so, so yeah. he he was fired for a while, and then, you know, they, they brought him back out of retirement. I mean, you know, th this is like, uh, you know, you see, you know, he reminds you of um, of that guy from Dr. Strangelove, you know? <laughs> yeah. Uh, there, there's this kind of, uh, this this worship of, uh, of, of military might that uh, goes beyond all reason. Uh, uh, and, well, and, and that's not, the caliber of uh, of journalism. It's not even that, it's not even that because I mean you can. I think it would be pretty normal for any country, any like country, any patriot of any country to be you know proud of their military and and uh, mm -hmm. you know um, you know see see images of their weaponry and I mean the Russians do it all the time with their military parades mm -hmm. and everyone's like yeah look at look at how great we are but this kind of takes it to another level just in the sense that here's this guy gushing over these weapons that are well it, it, would be, it would be the difference i think between um you know let's say you you imagine like the perfect upright general who always um you know fights honorably and you know mm -hmm. is always the first on the battle battlefield and supported by all his troops and you know kind of worshiping or you know giving kudos to that guy and being like oh look at his armor and look at his sword and it's so great and then you've got like some some you know gangster on the street with a bloody dagger and a dirty shirt and, and and then you know he's holding up his dagger and then this is what brian williams is kind of like gaga over i think brian williams is just a rich guy who likes to hear himself talk that's what that sounded like to me just just so that was that was ridiculous yeah um brian williams is a news anchor so he's a regular feature on on, on u.s mm -hmm. nightly news um so yeah, it, on the one hand, it's like, what what the hell is he talking about? But on the other hand, this is exactly the thing that we're talking about here in terms of the angle of this getting pressure off Trump's back. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Brian Williams is expressing the re relief of the elites. Oh, the in, McCain's. Of the, the McCain's and the Graham's. Um, and, and and the liberal interventionists, the, the do-gooders, mm -hmm. the, the Samantha Powers and so on, um, because right and left didn't matter. They were they were like relieved more than anything. They they had this patriotic fervor, rush of blood to the head, um, because 
and they've been they've, because they've been taking a beating over the past they've eighteen been taking months. Beating. Someone mentioned, well, Russia does this too. Well, that's that's the point. Russia has had exclusive, had all the exclusive of the past mm. eighteen months. Mm-hmm. Every time, and, and and Americans know that this is effective on people. Mm-hmm. It's just that in this in this respect, they don't realize that they're out there on their own, and most of the world's actually looking at and going, "You you, you just committed a war crime." Mm-hmm. You know, do you know what I mean? They they don't understand that when the rest of the world is watching the Russians doing it, they're mm-hmm. going, "Yes, that's righteous." Right. I mean, Russia has been lauded over the past eighteen America months. America still assumes that it is and always has been righteous. Yeah, but it's not, and nobody believes them anymore. Very few people believe them. I mean, Ru- Russia has been lauded over the past. Uh, every time Russia fired, uh, or there were images of Russia dropping bombs in Syria, whatever. Uh, it was uh, the general, uh, the general response from you know social media, let's say, and, and people everywhere, I think it, it spread to the collective unco- collective consciousness uh, as far as it could, was that this was a good thing because Russia was fighting ISIS. Russia, I mean, at the same time as Russia was bombing in Syria, the West was being bombarded with images of the horrors of what ISIS was doing. It wasn't hard, it was a very simple uh, kind of image for people to grasp, which was horrible ISIS killing people, chopping heads off, and Russia bombing ISIS. So Russia has just been like having a field day, basically, with in terms of its, uh, you know, praise and um, respect for its military prowess. And while, while what? While the U.S. just sat aside and said, oh, they shouldn't be doing that. Oh, they're not doing that. And nobody listened to them, you know. This mealy-mouthed kind of whimpering from U.S. politicians trying to take away from Russia when it was doing something that everybody understood to be the right thing, which was bombing terrorists in Syria. Uh, and America is like, well, well, we that's what we do. We should be doing that. We're freedom and democracy. I mean, we're the policeman of the world. We should be doing that. How, how come Russia's getting getting all the praise? That's not fair. And this is really bad for us because, I mean, what about our reputation? And the, and that's that. Like as Neil was saying, that's where uh, this guy's uh, uh, this anchor's, um, you know, what's the Lee. word? E- ecstasy almost. At at yeah, at yeah. seeing these beautiful missiles, oh, finally a release! You know, <laughs> for eighteen <laughs> months of yeah. eighteen months of of military celibacy, yeah. and finally we've yeah. consummated ourselves once again by <laughs> whatever I'm going he, to he going to follow that now. It's so it's so he's so ecstatic that he, he he's bringing in Leonard Cohen. I mean, that's how he feels about it. <laughs> You've got to yeah. realize how far gone these people are. And Democracy is coming to the USA. <laughs> and he, he's yeah, not alone. I mean, it's also Trump supporters. Sean Hannity. America is back. Mm. Back. Think about that. Where have mm. they been? Exactly. Well, they had to be. They had to not be there, right, to be back, right? They had to be in the, in the doldrums. And, and another Fox News commentator, uh, talking head, Trump reminded everyone who's the boss. Mm. America, we're the boss. We're number one, baby. Mm-hmm. Don't forget that. Now, uh, there's two things here. The one thing, there's perception. you got a reputation. You need to make sure you uphold that reputation. And the other thing is, w- what have you actually got? W- w- remember, what you actually got was a pretty piddly attack. Mm-hmm. Sweet nothing, really. Yeah. 
Uh, that airbase was used the next day to launch airstrikes against ISIS, yeah. which means the CIA yeah. and the boys lost the next day as they've been steadily losing, being, having their positions eroded over the last 18 months. So nothing has changed in the actuality. But in their minds, they understand that the global perception of U.S. military might is more important. It wasn't more important. It's, it's important, but it's not. But they believe, I don't know how more they believe important it's more important. Yeah. They well, they they believe in it. I mean, they the whole reality creation thing is obviously like one ranks very high on their foreign policy. And the, mm-hmm. You know, as long as you can convince people that you're right. the number one superpower, mm-hmm. then you're the number one superpower. And right. for, I'm sure a lot of them, they're so delusional that they, they're so into this weird postmodern world where they really think yeah. that, you know, their subjectivity so f- is reality. Yeah. yeah. I read somewhere that half of the Pentagon's budget is for STRATCOM, they call it, strategic communications. And, and in case anyone doesn't get the gist of what I'm saying, the guy who was being cited in this article where I read this explained that um, but what this means is that it's important to our budget because how we project American power abroad, the image of it is mm-hmm. super important. And that is like half of their budget is spent on telling the world how powerful the military is. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's yeah. hot air. But that's what I've been saying. Substantially, it's hot air. Well, we've been saying that for for quite a long time now, that that, that, that is, it, yeah, it's hot air, but it works, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. you, as long as you create the impression of invincibility and you being the, the world hegemon, the policeman and the upholder of the free world and the upholder of, 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 you know, rights of the oppressed, blah, 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 and you've got a big stick and you use your big stick periodically, well then, after doing it uh, enough times, you can get by basically on your reputation. You can get things. You can you can actually topple governments. With By a, sending in John McCain. Just with a, a word. Visit. Yeah, with yeah. a word almost, you know. Yeah. And, and that's the big problem with Russia. Russia coming in, that's a real thing that stings, is that Russia came in and just um, exposed them as being... Not all that, basically, and that's and serious. That's what you know? Trump did too. When yeah. Trump came in, he was, he was that whole. You know, that was a little bit of reality biting him in the butt. They're like, "Oh shoot, Clintons didn't make it. Now we got Trump, and how, you know, how do we explain him? You know, the Russian bots. Russian right. bots were what got him elected, or right? You know, and the Russian mean, propaganda or something. Yeah, and I mean, part of the problem, apart from Trump's, uh, you know, possible or theorized plan or penchant for doing things differently and, you know, maybe pulling back the U.S. military, not confronting so much with Russia, not getting rid of Assad. Um, apart from apart from that, uh, which was a concern, I suppose, for this deep, this deep state uh, gang, it the problem for the American people, again, was appearance, was that mm-hmm. Trump is a big wobbly guy with orange hair and an orange face who says mm-hmm. rude things. That is not presidential, because in America, what's presidential is a smooth-talking politician um, in a suit who says all the right things, who's me- got measured words, who who has gone to elocution lessons, who knows how to speak properly and uh, carries himself well, and slaughters people under cover of those words. That's presidential. The opposite of that... Great one. I'm not, the opposite of that, I'm not saying this is what necessarily Trump is, but he is on one score. He's not presidential because he doesn't look the part. He doesn't talk the part. He doesn't walk the part. But there's a possibility that he might not be as much of a 
serial killer as a smooth-talking presence. And that was the hope of Trump. And it might remain there to some extent, but it's horrible that people would base their support for someone on such superficial criteria. But then people are superficial, well, but, right? Yeah, people are superficial, and that really is that really has to be taken into account, not only in in analysis when we're looking at these things, but also if you put yourself in Trump's position, for example, he has to take all that into account. And that's that's why you know Scott Adams has been such a good um, you know commentator on all these issues because really when you're in that position as a president or as a leader. It's about persuasion. I mean, you've got to mm. solidify your image. Now, the question is whether that image at all matches up with reality or what the reality is behind that image. Right. But just really quick before we talk some more about that, we've got another clip to play because yeah. um, it turns Zach. out that, um, that, um, af that you know, Trump didn't become president when he was either elected or inaugurated. Apparently, he just became president. And we'll Two find days out ago. Why? Yeah, right here. Fareed, it's day 78 of the Trump presidency. What changed last night? I think uh, Donald Trump became president of the United States. I think this was actually a big moment because um, candidate Trump had said that he would never get involved in the Syrian civil war. He told President Obama, you cannot do this without the authorization of Congress. He seemed unconcerned with global norms. President Trump recognized that the president of the United States does have to act to enforce international norms, does have to have this broader moral and, and political purpose. President Trump realized, as every president has for many decades now, that presidents always believe they have inherent legal authority as commander in chief, and they don't need to go to a pesky Congress every time they want military force. It's entirely true that uh, candidate Trump felt differently. Candidate Obama felt differently than President Obama on these issues. So I think that what is interesting is even the way in which he justified uh, his actions, President Trump did. For the first time, really, as president, he talked about international norms, international rules, about America's role in enforcing justice in the world. It was the kind of rhetoric that we have come to expect from American presidents since Harry Truman, but it was the kind of rhetoric that President Trump had pointedly never used, either on the campaign trail nor in his inaugural. So I think there has been an interesting morphing and a kind of education of Donald Trump. <laughs> Who was that speaking, by the way? That was, Do we that's Fareed Zakaria, CNN talking head, CFR member. Um, general all-round douchebag. General all-round, probably liberal interventionist yeah. type. So the, he he spoke yes. to it there. He spoke to the what was what was missing from Trump and what they didn't like about him was that he he was going he would enforce uh, America the Pax Americana around the world via via bombs. You know he would enforce American peace around the world by blowing and and assume that responsibility of America as the policeman of the world as the sole exceptional superpower that decides all major issues around the world by force if necessary, but it's always in the interest of freeing the poor people and bringing bunny rabbits and unicorns to the oppressed. Interesting definition of morality by Freed. Because <laughs> he talked about international rules. It's like, oh, and yet... Yeah, he talked uh, about them. But, norms. That's what he's into. He's interested... As long as you talk he, it. He wanted Putin... Uh, <laughs> excuse me, Trump... He, Trump was missing something. What was he missing for, for this guy? He was missing that superficiality. Mm -hmm. 
okay, he's plenty of stuff, but I need superficiality. I am one of them. I am a person of the lie. Me and people like right. me, the people of the lie. We live lies. We breathe lies. We need lies. Give us a liar. We need a liar now. Where are the lies? We need yes. lies. A big we, talking liar. We, we die and, without and, lies. Right. And it was too much for Trump. And when Trump was telling the truth, right. when he was telling the truth, when Trump was saying things and, and calling things out correctly, uh, Fareed Zakaria only a few weeks ago was calling a Trump a bullshitter. Uh, on the air <laughs> multiple times, yeah. which we have never, we've never seen uh, one of these talking heads actually come out. He was on CNN. Trump is a bullshitter. He said this multiple times. So, so now, according to Zakaria, uh, Trump by by superseding uh, legalities by not consulting Congress, pesky uh, Congress, <laughs> pesky <laughs> Congress, Trump by breaking has into this vaunted position as a true American leader. And probably no longer a bullshitter. Hmm. Yeah. And last week, it's amazing. And last week, Trump not listening to Congress makes him a dictator. Uh-huh. Yeah. And now it makes him presidential material. <laughs> now it makes him president. <laughs> right. It all depends on whether or not you're bombing people. And whether or not you do as you're told by the, by by the, the, by, by the ultimate power, the, the authority figures that mm. these people, either subconsciously or consciously, mm. know are the real power. Yeah. Um, there's a danger here we that I kind of didn't mention, but the danger, I mean, we don't know what's going to happen, obviously, or where it's going to go, and there's going to be many twists and turns, I'd say, but um, the danger in Trump taking this action in Syria, these Tomahawk cruise missiles, is that he now has set a precedent. Uh, all it takes is for some covert op guys to go and you know, uh, set off some more chemical weapons. Um, although, I mean, I don't know how far they could, how much they could get out of that in terms of credibility. Assad's going to go and drop some more chemical weapons and some more chemical weapons, you know, four, four, five or six more times or something. Uh, it'd be interesting if they tried that. But if they do at least once more, Trump's going to be required to take some more action. So these people seem to be just trying to, behind the scenes, are trying to ramp up that... Uh, or increase the, the tension, heighten the tension between uh, Russia and the U.S., or at least the appearance of it, to put Russia and the U.S. at ever-increasing kind of levels of, of, of conflict uh, up to, but not including, nuclear war. And that's a very dangerous game to play, but these people are psycho nut jobs, and they probably like playing those kind of games um, and getting rich uh, while they're doing it at the expense of the lives of ordinary people um, in the Middle East and maybe eventually closer to home, you know. But I thought it was interesting that... Um, so we'll have to see... Yeah, we'll have to see where, where that goes and what, what happens. But um, I thought it was interesting that when Trump... Trump's little speech, uh, his announcement that the, I have just ordered uh, Tomahawk or whatever, cruise missiles or whatever, whatever way to describe that I've ordered an attack or action to be taken, blah, blah, blah. And he talked about, you know, uh, the chemical weapons attack and the poor babies and the horrific scenes and changed his mind. I mean, it was quite, uh, it was a very um, unctuous kind of speech. It was kind of slimy and and, and overly emotional, uh, more so than when Obama and Bush before him were in a similar position where they had to announce or they were announcing that there was some military action against some country. Uh, 
mm-hmm. Trump really nailed it, but you could tell he was reading very carefully from the two teleprompters, you know, yeah. word, word about it, because no way that guy could pull it off himself, you know. So, but I thought it was interesting that, <laughs> so he gives this speech and it's just what everybody's been waiting for, right? I mean, that's what they want. The, the president, lie. Yeah, they want the lie. They want the, back to the, back to the kind of brass tacks, you know, and back to the traditional American uh, foreign policy speech. And um, so he, he makes it and then he walks, goes, starts to walk off and he's walking off. But before he could get to the door, a bunch of reporters started shouting stuff. But there was only one question that actually came through. And it was from some guy, I don't know who it was, but one of them shouted at him, Mr. Trump, what's your legal justification for doing this? And I just had a laugh at at the just the hypocrisy of the media, you know, that even when Trump is doing what they want effectively, you know, he's becoming presidential, he's doing all these things, he's bombing countries again, uh, they still couldn't resist getting in a dig at him, like, I mean, asking the actual, the right question. But only because it's Trump. When Obama made those speeches, as he did on a number of occasions about bombing countries, and when Bush did it before him, when there was ample room, every reason for the media to immediately question the legality because they were completely illegal, according to international law and moral law and God's law and everybody's law, not a word from the media. Because, it was because well, you've got to get behind our troops and behind our president. He's the commander-in-chief. Trump does it, and still the media found the time to go, or finally the media found the time to ask the right question. Mm-hmm. And not only the media, Joe, uh, there have been reports that Nancy Pelosi is uh, is making um, an issue of uh, Trump not consulting Congress about it as well. In the meantime, she is uh, probably one of the biggest political hack hypocrites uh, in D.C., uh, working behind the scenes for Israel over a number of years, um, politically uh, in the pockets of, of all kinds of interests. Uh, it's purely political. Um, so she can't even allow Trump this moment of, uh, of, of you know, success. She has, to, um, she has to make an issue of the legality of it because mm-hmm. she really believes in, in law. Yeah, right. Point taken, guys. But... That still falls under the business as usual remit because the overwhelming message is relief and yes and yay America, and that well, is that is the overwhelming win for Trump the, the, or the overwhelming it, yeah. motivation for doing this. Yeah, he's he's won. He has won. But my point was simply that in all the years of American illegal actions around the world, not one reporter ever questioned. In fact, they did exactly the opposite. They did their best to cover up the flagrant illegality and war crime nature of Bush and Obama actions, military action around the world. They never said a word. They actually did exactly the opposite. They massively encouraged it and massively projected the propaganda at the people. But now this time, because it's Trump, one of them at least spoke up and added, oh, legality, anybody? Legality? the CNN guy, actually. Yeah, CNN probably. Amazing. Well, uh, one of the yeah. things that I find interesting about this whole thing is that, like you said, Trump gave this kind of really... Uh, purple speech and really played it up. I mean, it really was a spectacle. Like you'd think not only from the the coverage of it, but the reactions to it, that this was this giant, magnificent um, action, mm. you know, shock and awe, <laughs> shock and awe level of action. 
and we've got all the rea- you know all the reactions all the positive reactions now you know McCain's gushing and all these talking heads are gushing and Lindsey Graham and blah 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 everyone's so happy and it's like this giant thing and then if you actually look at the details it's like there's not much there like it's like a pew pew attack not mm-hmm. not really that effective so it it kind of makes me think that it's it really is kind of um on one level it's pr genius mm-hmm. like that that trump could could do as little as possible and then have such a response right and i think that's because he did the only thing that like you were saying earlier joe mm-hmm. the only thing that that the u.s actually could do given the conditions given mm-hmm. russia in syria this is the extent of what they could do mm-hmm. and so everyone's and I think everyone kind of, at least on some unconscious level, a lot of these crazies know that. Like, mm-hmm. yeah, they'd really love to just bomb the crap out of the whole country, but they, on some level, they know that that's not possible. Mm-hmm. So when they see just this tiny little bit of something happening that yeah. kind of approaches their ideal, they go crazy for it. Mm-hmm. That's that's because, uh, and that's a result of the of the the drought they've been experiencing over the, as we were saying over the past 18 months and they've been they've been really finding that very difficult they've been seething at that and not only that not only was it a poor effort but they had to let the russians know about it in yeah. advance yeah well, that just shows what kind of a position that our, that uh, america is in that there are right. so many people that are that bloodthirsty mm-hmm. i mean they need it it's it's uh-huh. despicable if you step back for a minute, yeah. usually when this happens, 1991, babies, incubators, Iraq's partially obliterated, not completely, but then the sanctions follow and Iraq's obliterated slow motion and then it's finally obliterated again with WMDs, WMDs um, in 2003. Afghanistan, Osama bin Laden's there, countries flattened. Yugoslavia, he's a bad man, countries flattened. Um, Yemen they didn't even give a reason countries flattened Sudan broken up partially flattened Somalia well that's a slow motion thing as well it wasn't it wasn't massively bombed overnight Libya he's a bad man he's killing his own people countries flattened Syria uh, they can't flatten Syria they, 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 the fact remains that Syria is there's a roadblock there over this longer pattern. And when they do it again now, recently this week, they still can't do what they would normally do. That tells me that they're hemmed in. Mm-hmm. And that this is actually a relatively positive global development. And I think that for them, I mean, I think that Trump is also someone that needs to be conquered. And I wonder if some of this elation isn't at the fact that has have we managed to you know have we won against him you know have he's is he going to bend to our will now you know is some of this elation more of like a conquering of Trump than a conquering of Syria? Mm-hmm. Mm. I think that's a good point, Corey. Um, there, you know, it, it's like why isn't he with the program? Yeah. Why isn't he? Uh, why isn't he following? the damn script. We've written the mm-hmm. script. We've had the script for 20 years. We've had our best people working on it. What's wrong with this guy? Mm-hmm. Um, doesn't he, doesn't he want this for us? Doesn't he, what, what's wrong with him? What, what kind of ideas does he have that he's coming out with, 
with making America great again? What, what is this? What is this? Well, wasn't it great? Uh, well, you know what? Like seeing it from that perspective, it, uh, I mean, I keep just, I mean, I, I think that probably I'm just being hypnotized, but, uh, cause Scott Adams keeps showing up in my brain and he'd probably like that, but I don't know if I do, but, mm-hmm. um, the, his whole thing about persuasion, which makes sense is that, you know, it's all about pacing and leading. So that's what he was saying about how basically how Trump won the, the campaign was you pace people, you speak at their level, you basically agree with them, you say what they want to hear. And then once you've agreed with them and they now agree with you, you slightly change their opinion and they'll change their opinion along with you. So keeping in mind what, what Corey and Alan were just saying, we have these people saying, oh, you know, why doesn't Trump just get with the program? Well, one of the biggest problems for Trump has been that, uh, well, and for any president, but particularly for Trump, is that he has a huge section of not only the population, but the vast majority of the so-called elite, the establishment, who disagree with him on everything. So the problem is how to get them on his side. Well, the only way to get them on his side would be to totally go against everything that, you know, he said he stands for and all of his campaign promises. So this, in, in a sense, it's it, now all these crazy people are like, oh, maybe, you know, Trump's agreeing with us. You know, he he's just like us now. We've got him. Mm-hmm. Now that Trump agrees with them. Now, this is the danger. Like like Joe was saying, the danger is that Trump will agree with them and will just follow, you know, their policy line from now on. The other possibility, which would be the ideal one, but, you know, we can't get our hopes up, would be that now that Trump agrees with them and they now agree with him, he can say, oh, yeah, I totally agree with you guys. Yeah, exactly. And then, oh, but, you know, oh, but we, we should actually do this, you know, just a little bit differently than, than you guys are suggesting. But, you know, I still agree with you guys and you agree with me, right? Because, you know, we're, we're, we're hermanos now. Mm-hmm. And it, it's so there's at least the possibility of that pacing and leading. Now, now they all agree with him. Now Trump agrees with them. Okay, well, now let's see what we can actually do. Oh, well, it looks, you know, here, we that's what you want? Okay, well, this is the best way to get there. Wasn't quite what you guys were asking beforehand, but, uh, you know, we can agree, right? At least, you know, it might, it's, you know, it's a long shot, but mm-hmm. um, it's probably the only way to actually get that end result. So, mm-hmm. I think that the situation is a lot more complex than this whole, you know, Trump abandoned his campaign pledge or you know trump is our savior or whatever i think that yeah it's much more complex than we think you know politics is like a black box and we look in from the outside and we have to you know kind of understand the nuances of what's going on and when you look at it from you know that big picture i think that trump is being he's edged in from all sides by forces that you know i mean just ordinary little people out here we have no idea what, you know, kind of interests and forces are on him, you know, at all times every day. And you have to have a strategy and you have to, if you're going to try and do anything, you have to play with what is already there. And he's in power in, you know, a giant pack pathocracy. He might as well have been elected president of the Crips or the Bloods or something. <laughs> you know, I mean, he's, if he wants to get anything done, you know, he has to work with what's there and the mindset that's there. And, you know, it's as terrifying as that is. I mean, it, it seems, you know, frankly, it, it seems hopeless, but, you know, if he's able to make any ground whatsoever, then, I mean, shoot, that guy's a, he's a soldier. <laughs> yeah. It depends well, on what you're... <laughs> if he's able to survive, if he, if he, 
if he has integ- integrity and he keeps it for eight years, I will think that guy was a hell of a guy. Yeah. Or four it depends years. on your expectations. Oh. Yeah. I mean, you can't have really high expectations, right? No, yeah. no you can't. It's gotta... insane. You know, you're like, I want the Crips to be a great, <laughs> make yeah. the Crips great again or whatever. <laughs> it's like, apparently, that's what people don't realize. And the problem is people, people who are living in illusion, like don't, haven't paid attention to this stuff, haven't investigated what, what's going on. And how the world actually works. Those people are living in a in la la land, you know, and they're never going to come up with an accurate uh, explanation or understanding of of events as they unfold if their if their awareness of how the world works isn't grounded in how it actually works. If if they're living in la la land, you know, um, and they're also going to expect far too much, you know. Uh, they think they live in the greatest country in the world, freedom and democracy and stuff, and then they're horrified when an orange faced president comes in. How did that happen? That can never happen in America. Well. <laughs> I mean, you got to understand, you know, the context and, and the situation, the real context and situation uh, in which you're living <clears throat> and just how bad things actually are. And only then can you make an assessment of what's good and what's bad. Mm-hmm. If you know where you're at, you know, but most people don't even know where they're at, you know. <clears throat> and things are very, very, very bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, right. You know, like you were saying, Corey, you know, you have these incredible forces that are arrayed against them uh, in the media, in politics, um, uh, personalities that he's surrounded by who might have ulterior motives. Um, these are, these are incredible pressures. He's probably the best person on his whole team. And um, <clears throat> you know, if this looks like, you know, uh, two steps backwards to get one step forward, it, it's just a testament to, how difficult a situation it is for him. Um, so yeah, uh, this is a real politique in, in, uh, at the end of, uh, empire in the United States, uh, at this time and place. Uh, this is Trump, um, dealing with the, the hand that he has dealt. And, um, you know, we talked a little earlier about, uh, Russia, um, kind of, helping to save face a little bit and what they were saying and, or, and not saying. And you have to imagine that on some level, uh, not even, not even in, in such a deep level. I mean, it's, it's very easy for them given their understanding of what the, what he's up against to want to, um, play along to the extent that they can, mm-hmm. uh, they, they have to understand that, that, you know, he's up against, uh, things that um, that would make it near impossible for anyone else with a lesser personality and 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 less of a chip on their shoulder to fight against. Mm-hmm. Um, this is the best we got uh, in the U.S. right now. Yeah, you have Donald to be freaking Trump. <clears throat> you have to be uh, a complete narcissistic blow blowhard asshole to do anything. Joe, hmm? sorry, did I say a bad word? Yes. To, to do to, to actually confront uh, to, to make any change that says a lot about the state of uh, politics uh, in America. That that's the only, Donald Trump is the only kind of person who would have any chance uh, of actually doing anything because he's got such a massive ego and it's such a massive narcissist that he, that that's the best the best you can hope for in terms of um, somebody affecting any change because uh, somebody like a do-gooder, you know, a real humanitarian and stuff would just get eaten alive in that in that. Cage, you know, Arena. that is Washington D.C. Well, we've got one more clip. I don't really know what's in it, but I think we'll play it and then talk afterwards. 
Well, one thing I can say, we had Lindsey Graham on, so it's only fair that we have his best buddy, John McCain, get a word in. I think what happened last night reverberates around the globe to every terrorist organization that there is, and there's lots of them, but also to Kim Jong-un. He's a little less uh, comfortable because uh, we have shown that the United States of America, under certain circumstances, will make use of our military power, which is still the strongest uh, on earth. And we have to emphasize to to the Chinese that we understand they can, can only they can control North Korea. And if they don't, then it's going to have an impact on our relationship, especially economically. So uh, hopefully Kim Jong-un got the message last night and also the Chinese president who happened to be sitting at dinner while this was taking place also got the message. I think it was a test. Uh, traditionally, you can go back to Jack Kennedy and, and the Bay of Pigs and uh, the Cuban Missile Crisis. Most every new president has been tested by adversaries, and I believe that Putin may test us in Ukraine. But uh, I, I think that the president responded well. I think most importantly to me, and this is very most importantly to me, is that the president put his trust in the advice and counsel of the strongest national security team that, that I have observed. Yeah, every new president hmm. since Jack Kennedy has been tested by the deep state. Yeah, right. Not by the adversaries. <sighs> yeah, this, that, that guy's delusional. Um, obviously, it doesn't really need to be said. John McCain is nuts. Um, He's saying that he's playing up a, a sixty cruise missiles, you know, a little, little kind of a turkey shoot at an empty, at a deserted airfield in Syria as, as something that puts the whole world on notice. Watch our terrorists! See what we just did! Pew pew! It's like um, that's not very convincing. And in fact, I'm sure most countries around the world are have a long enough memory to know that America you know, uh, has has a long track record of doing far more than just firing a bunch of cruise missiles at an empty airfield in Syria. I mean, the whole world witnessed them invade Iraq and totally destroy the country and leave it destroyed up until this day and, and kill 1.5 million people. So, I mean, I'm not sure what he's talking about unless, as we've been saying, he's talking about the fact that American military prowess and its ability to project its powerful military force around the world and intimidate everybody has taken a serious beating because over the past 18 months because of Russia. That, again, is what John McCain is talking to there, just like Lindsey Graham was and so many others. They're playing up this little kind of turkey shoot at nothing in Syria as if it's like puts the whole world on notice. No, it doesn't. It actually makes you look stupid and delusional and actually highlights your impotency. For your impotence. Mm-hmm. He was so happy that Trump listened to that National Security Council, though. He was That was the most the, important thing. The greatest thing. National the Security greatest. Council that I've ever seen. Yeah. Except for when I visited ISIS. They had a great National Security Council. There's one thing I just want to say before we um, close on it. It's uh, that, I mean, I know it's, it's kind of, not only is it preaching to the choir, but it's also just a case of kind of save your breath type of thing because, yeah, everybody knows this. But um, when I when I saw Trump 
get up there and Nikki Haley in the UN and hold up the pictures of the dead people and and like the bleeding heart thing over dead women and children and babies and men whatever um coming and and being so effusive about it about no less than two weeks after the US dropped bombs on an apartment building in Mosul and killed 200, 200 men, women and children. Mm-hmm. Um, for them then, to less than two weeks after that, to stand up and make like they really care about dead women and children, it's like uh, Charles Manson getting up giving a heartfelt speech about he about how it's terrible when you know serial killers kill people or something you know um that's what it's like it's basically like a you know or it's like you know dracula getting up and condemning someone for you know sucking the blood out of somebody's finger or something like that you know i mean these people are the u.s is a mass murdering nation that slaughters people indiscriminately and as i said just recently is responsible for the death of deaths of 1.5 million people in Iraq over the past 10 or 15 years. And we're, anybody is meant to believe representatives of that government when they stand up and shed crocodile tears over, or shed any kind of tears over, over, over um, 80, 80 people killed in Syria? I mean, that's what I just couldn't get my head around, how anybody took those people seriously. It really is like a mass murderer getting up and and crying over over dead people. Um, how does that figure? I don't know. I think they're from uh, another reality. Yeah, it's like an antimatter reality. I don't understand what they're doing here, though. Go away. Yankee, Get lost. Yankee, go home. Anyway, maybe we'll leave it there for this week, folks, will we? Yes. Unless anybody has anything else to add. Yeah. Well, just a, just a couple things, maybe just for a couple minutes. We'll see, yeah. you know, where things are going, um, at least what from what's going on right now. I mean, today, um, again, uh, the U.S., I can't remember which official, but basically, I think it might have been Nikki Haley again or Rex Tillerson, essentially saying that, yeah, now Assad must go. Um, you know, regime change is on the table. Uh, Assad has no place in the future as president of of Syria. The U.S. is considering more sanctions on Russia and Iran for their Mm -hmm. support of Assad. And right after the attack, Trump wrote a letter to Congress essentially saying that he reserves the right to do it it whenever he wants again, if if it's in the U.S.'s national interests. And on the other hand, you know, we've got um, Iran and Russia reaffirming their support for Syria. Russia closed down the deconfliction line, you know, tore up the memorandum of understanding they had with the U.S. military. So they will no longer be sharing any kind of military information about planes. And the, the kind of implied threat there is that because you won't be, tell- because you won't be able to tell us what you're going to do, Basically, don't do anything. Otherwise, we could, you know, shoot down your missiles, shoot down your planes, etc. And Belgium has already apparently stopped any flights over Syria because of this. Mm-hmm. And the Russians also, you know, that same day said, "Oh, you know, we've got a routine um, 
transfer of our warships, basically, they sent uh, one of their admiral cruisers to the Tartu space in Syria, um, caliber cruise missile equipped, and they say they are going to um, up their air defenses. So presumably, maybe more uh, more air defense systems. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, in addition to the S three hundreds and S four hundreds. So there's that. So we'll see what happens based on all that. I don't know. Yeah. We shall see. And Boris Johnson's going to shirk front Putin. <laughs> well, and as, as far as I know, the, the meeting between Lavrov and Tillerson is still on for, yeah. was it this week, I think? Like the 11th or something like that. So we'll see what happens with that. Yeah. But other than that, I think we can call it a day. All righty then. So, well... Stay tuned for developments, everybody. Indeed. Yeah, we'll be trying not to get too uh, too crazy about it. Yeah, yeah. If things if things aren't super crazy over the next week, we might have a, an interview next week. We'll see. We'll let everyone know online. So yes. tune in, stay tuned, and we will talk again next week. So thanks, everyone. Thanks for listening, guys. Thanks for listening. See you next Take week. Care. Let's play that outro music. Good. <laughs> <laughs>